Two of the summer's most important events are in the rear view. Independence Day is over, and the Summer Fancy Food Show has come to an end. That doesn't mean the fun's over just yet. We'll be taking a look at winners old and new, in addition to the trends emerging from the 2023 Summer Fancy Food Show, as we welcome SFA alum, FI advisor, and Tanner Food Group president Ron Tanner to the Food Institute podcast to discuss that and more coming at you right now. So, before we get started, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Food Institute's live coverage of all three days of SFFS. I'll include links in the description of this episode so you can catch up, and if you do, you'll likely see and hear from the man I'm about to speak with. So, welcome to the show, Ron. Can you share a bit more about yourself for our audience who may not be familiar with you just yet? Yeah, thank you, Chris, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about the Fancy Food Show. It's something that I've lived, I'd hate to say it, if you saw me, you could maybe tell, since 1987. Um, I'm the president of the Tanner Food Group, which is a consultancy based on preparedness, regulatory activities, lots of different things. But for 33 years, I worked for the Specialty Food Association, um, helping manage the fancy food shows, the content, public relations, lots of different aspects of it. So this summer fancy food show, which was just um, last week, was the 80th fancy food show that I've been at. So I have a lot of perspective. I help manage 76 of them. And I can tell you, it's a lot more fun to go to the show and walk around and look for fun products than it is to be looking at, you know, whether the AV is working and different things like that. And I thought I was the person with the most experience at Food Institute with the show going to seven. But obviously you have some information on like the inside workings there. So I think it's going to be a great conversation. What I want to open up with is a question about trends. This is what everybody really wants to know every year from the show. What are some of the major trends you saw this year at the 2023 edition of the show? Now, Chris, there are always great trends that come out of the show, both at the winter show and at the summer show. And what I thought I would do is talk about some of the SOFI winners. Um, SOFI stands for Specialty Food, Specialty Outstanding Food Innovation. And it is the award that the association gives each year to, to many of its members with products. And these products really represent what the trends are. And, you know, the buyers go to see these products at the show. So I'm going to go through a few of these to give you an idea of some of the trends. Um, the new product of the year was a vegan passion fruit mochi. Um, so that shows that one of the trends is vegan. One of the trends is also Asian type flavors. So that brought that all together into something which really um, exemplifies what's happening at the fancy food show. Um, cocktails and mocktails are becoming very big in the specialty food industry. Um, there was a company there, they made an orange blossom cocktail cube. So you could add that to seltzer if you wanted it to be a mocktail. You could add it to a champagne if you wanted it to be a cocktail. And if you wanted to be really, um, you know, taking chances, you could put it in with gin, I would think. Um, lots of different, you know, combinations of products. It seems at the fancy food show and in the specialty food industry, products are either really good for you or are really bad for you. And I think that's the way a lot of people are eating these days. You know, they might be having a salad for lunch and a bag of potato chips at 4.30. Unfortunately, that's the way I eat sometimes, but um, that is how people are. Um, but one of the trends was called breakfast with benefits. And it's breakfast products, which are giving you something indulgent and healthy together. So there was a company there called Make Each Day Delicious, which has a chocolate and zucchini mini waffles. So you can get your chocolate in the morning and you can get your zucchini. So you're getting your vegetables and your sweets together. Um, Bixby Chocolate from up in Maine has a main grain 
um, organic oat milk chocolate bar. So again, showing, you know, for people that are vegan that don't want to eat um, products from animals, they're using that oat milk instead of milk powder to make the chocolate. Again, showing plant-based is one of the things there. Um, lots of unusual flavors. Um, Mike's had a product called dill pickle ketchup with bourbon. Um, that would have been great to have on a hot dog for the 4th of July. And if you didn't get that opportunity, you could have it on a hot dog throughout the entire summer. Um, showing some of the actual dichotomy between good for you and not so good for you. And this would be something which would taste very good, but probably is not the most healthy. Um, it's a Guinness mac and cheese made with cabbage cheddar, which comes from Cabot Creamery, which is up in Vermont. So you can get your Guinness and get your mac and cheese at the same time. Um, but then as a different um, entree, there's a plant-based calamari from Jinka. So you can have the calamari, but not have the fish. So, you know, lots of different things. Um, one of the other really interesting products I found, which really talks about the international trends, is there was a sardine with lobster oil from the French farm. So sardines are a trend. Um, people are beginning to eat a lot of canned fish. I think people began that during the um, during the pandemic, and now they're beginning to do this. So these sardines are actually packed with lobster oil. So you can get that really, you know, kind of decadent flavor of the lobster along with the sardines. So those were some of the trends that I saw at the show and some of the products that exemplify. And that's a great little recap of some of the products you saw there. I know some of the things we saw with the Food Institute, we definitely saw a mochi gummy slash chew kind of snack product. So that was kind of an interesting wrinkle and a new thing that I had seen. I think it does play into that bigger overall trend we're seeing for international flavors, Asian flavors specifically gaining prominence in the U.S. But it does have me thinking, you know, are these continuation of trends you've seen in the past? Which ones are novel you know, could you give us a little bit of background, you know, with your historical view on the on the event itself? You know, how many of these trends come and go? You know, could you give us a little background there? Yeah, a lot of the trends kind of continue. So, you know, fads are something that come and go. And there are certainly a lot of fads um, in the specialty food industry, probably more fads in restaurants because you can come up with unusual flavor combinations in a restaurant um, much quicker than you can as a manufacturer because it just takes longer to put things together. Um, a couple other things which I saw there, which I'll just mention before I go into talking about what um, disappeared, there were new flavor combos. Those are always out there, but there was an orange creamsicle soda, which sounds good. I don't think I've had a creamsicle for a long time, but I have you know fond memories of them. And also simplicity. Um, simplicity has been around for a long time. One of the things that's really good about specialty food, both healthfully and taste-wise, is they're not made with a lot of ingredients. So it might be one, two, maybe three ingredients. So, so those are some of kind of the overarching trends. Um, Chris, what I did is I looked at some of the trends that I had presented um, to students at Cal Poly and UC Davis in California back in 2015. And we can talk about some of these as really being gone, um, but some of them are just continuing and becoming kind of more, um, you know, more mainstream. So um, the kombucha trend was kicking off um, back in 2015. It is still, kombucha is still out there. I think it's leveling off a little bit. Um, so it's not so much a trend, but a lot of these trends kind of move into becoming, you know, mainstream products, um, products that people have all the time. Um, back then there was coconut, was it was in everything. 
Um, now coconut continues to be in everything and has becoming a lot more mainstream. Um, one of the trends back there was turmeric. Um, that was first noted by the Specialty Food Association in 2015. That's still a trend um, or maybe just becoming not really mainstream, but a lot of people are realizing the health benefits of having turmeric. So you're seeing that in tea, you're seeing the spice used a lot, you're seeing it things such as ice cream. Um, matcha was identified as a trend back then. And I think matcha has now moved into the mainstream with people you know, eating a lot at, at Japanese restaurants and utilizing matcha for themselves. So a lot of things really kind of just develop. Um, there were two trends back then, which I think may have gone by the wayside. One was cookie butter. Um, people were making a, um, it was almost like a peanut butter or a spread made out of cookies. Many companies back in 2015, I don't think that's as common as it was. And then this was probably more of a God fad than a trend. There was a cheese flavored olive oil, and I'm not sure if that's still in the market. So a lot of the trends kind of develop, they become part of mainstream markets and some of them disappear. And honestly, some of them that disappear probably never should have come onto the market. I think that's a fair way to look at it. You know, there's obviously a lot of innovation being showcased at the show, but also you see some, you know, stalwarts that have been at the show for a long time that are showcasing some of their products that are still growing in popularity. And I think an important thing for a lot of these companies is they're trying to get to that ubiquity part in the American diet. They don't want to just be a specialty food, if you will. They want to become a little bit more prominent. But I guess when you take a look at both of the sides, Ron, when you look at the trends that have stayed, the trends that have kind of fallen apart, you know, what do you think really brings that together? What makes these trends, you know, have that lasting power? Is it something that happens every year? Is it something that has multi-year kind of power? You know, how do you take a look at those two different dynamics and kind of say, these are the things that will probably do well? Well, I think American consumers are always looking for new flavors, new tastes, new combinations, and are willing to try lots of different things. And some of those things stick and some of those things don't stick. I think the ones that do stick probably have some health benefits. So if you look at the turmeric and the kombucha um, from back in 2015, um, those probably stuck around because they had some health benefits. Um, I think the ones which don't stick around are, you know, they can be kind of gimmicky and, and gimmicky isn't particularly bad. Um, a lot of people want to try a lot of different flavors. They want to try a lot of different foods. They want to impress their friends with these things that they discovered. Um, but, you know, you can impress your trends, your friends once with some weird flavor candy. Um, you're not going to keep eating it all the time. So um, they kind of go by the wayside. But you can see, Chris, that, you know, the Fancy Food Show, this was the 67th Summer Fancy Food Show. There were probably around 15 Specialty Food Association members that have been exhibiting for 67 years. So you look at things which were, gosh, trends back in the 60s. Um, those would be things like ice cream from Ben and Jerry's and Dove bars and, you know, products like that. And you can see them really moving into the mainstream. Um, Things such as pesto, Italian pasta, you know, French pâtés, um, jams now like a bon maman or Dijon mustard. Those things were not common. They were trends at the fancy food shows 30 years ago, maybe even 40 years ago. And now they've become part of, of what the market is. So you see that always developing. 
But the creativity that is there among um, specialty food manufacturers is just astounding. Um, one of the things you're seeing now is there are a lot of Asian products coming onto the market. And some of them are coming from you know, Hong Kong and Korea and Asia, but many of them are being kind of invented by um, Asian Americans that have moved to the United States and you know, are starting to develop products. So you'll see great things like that that are coming along. So just a lot of interesting things. I think each fancy food show, I know this one at the summer show had about 300 new exhibitors. So those are 300 companies that have never been there before. Uh, this is the first time they're showing their products and, you know, hopefully they'll all do well. Some of them have products, which I think will do very well. Some of them have products, which you may not see next year. And I know that the Specialty Food Association sets up a little section for some of those newcomers. It was actually fairly close to where the Food Institute was doing live coverage. So I got to spend a little time. The happiness, the pride and the excitement of, you know, evident in that little row is pretty incredible and you know has me thinking you know what is the best part of the summer fancy food show for exhibitors i know you've had experience kind of attending i know you've had experience working for the event when you talk to these kinds of companies you know what kind of benefits do they talk about uh being on the show floor well the biggest benefit is to meet buyers and sell their products so um, lots of buyers come to the fancy food show. I think um, retail buyers were up 21% this past summer. Food service buyers were up 20%. So they want to see somebody who likes their product. Um, in the specialty food industry, really in um, big food, um, the buyers really want to like the person too. So that personal interaction and how the buyers can see whether the mission of the company um, is similar to the mission of their stores or whether they um, have a product uh, for food service that can, you know, reduce kitchen time, reduce labor time, which is a problem for um, restaurants and caterers and others. You know, they really want to, uh, to meet these buyers, identify with these buyers and really start a relationship with them. Um, that relationship may not result in a product being bought at the fancy food show, it may result in a product being bought in three years, I mean, three months, sorry, three years would not be good, um, being bought in three months or in six months. And it may wait until they see each other again, but they want to meet those buyers and to really get their products out there in the market. And I think the other real advantage for the exhibitors is to, to make friends with other exhibitors. The um, specialty food industry is very, very friendly and people are willing to help each other. Uh, the Specialty Food Association does a great job of putting together educational programs which help people improve their businesses. But the friends that you meet at the show, um, they might be next to you in your aisle. You might meet them over cocktails and there are some cocktails at the show. You know, they may be helping you in your business 20 years down the road. So establishing that network of peers that can really help you grow your business is, is important to the future of these companies. I think that's a great point there, Ron. One of the things I noticed, you know, after the pandemic, I was at five shows before the pandemic hit, and then I believe it was a two-year hiatus for the summer show. One of the things I noticed the first year back was the energy was really strong. You know, you could tell people were really excited to be back. 
This year, I was surprised, maybe surprise is the wrong word here, but, you know, it was remarkable that the energy was just as strong or maybe even stronger. So, you know, in this post-pandemic era, after we all had an opportunity to see what life was like without these shows, you know, how important are those face-to-face connections when you go to an event like this? Yeah, because I think the energy was super strong at this show. Um, Everybody was excited to be back. They were happy to see each other you know, happy to network with each other. You could even see it, you know, the association did a um, New York block party on Sunday and yeah, people were out there having fun. You know, they were enjoying themselves. Uh, the chef from the Moroccan pavilion, Morocco was the um, the country sponsor of the show. The chef from the Moroccan pavilion was out there leading dancing with people dressed in New York Yankees outfits, which Chris, I think you would have liked. Uh, but there was just all kinds of great, camaraderie going on and I think people need that in their lives now and that the specialty food association the fancy food show is bringing that to this important industry and I tell my friends when I go to this show you know it's not just a trade show it's almost like a party in a lot of ways people are really having a good time you know everyone you're talking to is handing you delicious food it's one of my favorite days of the year to work for sure so definitely definitely can echo those sentiments I do want to take a little bit of a historical view here too, though, Ron. I know you mentioned you had plenty of experience kind of running the show and working on it. What are the biggest changes you've seen with the show over the years? You know, anything notable that you would want to bring up showcasing how this event has kind of evolved in the last 30, 40 years? Well, it's consistently gotten bigger and that's a good thing. And it consistently is getting more domestic companies there. Now the summer show in particular has a lot of internationals. I mean, I, usually about 30, 35% of the show floor are international exhibitors. Um, but back many, many years ago, that percentage was higher. Um, but there's just a great um, great energy among domestic manufacturers. And as you walk the show floor, a lot of these people are like 25, 28 years old. They're young, they have dreams. You know, I think of a company I know called Reveal. They're uh, an upcycle company, which is one of the trends. They're making a tea out of avocado pits. So they want to reduce food waste and also make a delicious product. And you see, you know, things like that coming along. Um, You're seeing a lot more educational programming at the show. People want to uh, help others be successful in the business. And you're seeing... um, seeing a lot of sampling. I mean, there's always been a lot of sampling, but I think people are just eager to try all the new things. And that's a great thing to see. And it's gotten, you know, I mean, this is dress, but I mean, so, you know, back, you know, it used to be people were wearing suits or sport coats. And now I think there's more people with, um, you know, branded t-shirts and shorts um, that are really letting people, they're, they're walking their brand. And you see a lot of that. It's a lot less formal. Um, somebody had told me that they went to a couple of receptions on Monday night. Uh, they went to one which was an, an older established company, which had kind of all the, you know, older men and women all dressed up at a fancy place. And then they went to one that was put on by a young company. I went to the upcycled food um, reception. And it's just a, a different type of person that's going into the industry. And what... Um, really invigorates me as somebody who's been along around quite a while is I see this really building and there's a new generation coming along with a lot of new products. And I think it 
spells success for those in the specialty food industry, but also spells success for consumers because they'll continually get these new and exciting products that can, you know, make them happier and probably make them healthier. And a lot that we could respond to there. I do want to kind of point out, I think, the sampling aspect. And, you know, maybe you could tell me if it's true or not. But I did kind of find it interesting. A lot of like, you know, high profile, either, you know, chefs coming in for a moment or even Carbone coming out and doing a two hour block showcasing their first spicy vodka sauce, you know, an exclusive at the show. Are you seeing that more and more too? kind of the social media influence bringing in, you know, celebrity chefs, et cetera, to kind of be a part of this event, too? Or is that something that was always there? You know, it, it's always been there, but it's there in a bigger way now, um, just because they can get the publicity, they can get it a lot faster. So you do see a lot of chefs coming in. Um, there were a lot of cooking demonstrations that were going on. Moroccan had some cooking demonstrations. Spain had some great demonstrations. So did Italy. So people want to see how to prepare these products. And um, the internationals in particular want to show you how to prepare the products. And you see a lot more of that coming along, I believe. And you see a lot of companies that are, you know, were basically food service companies, or maybe they owned an Indian restaurant in New Jersey, and they've taken their products um, and trying to sell their food service products into retail. So, you know, they're not always celebrity chefs, but there's a lot of chefs there that are really, you know, demonstrating what the products are and, you know, helping people understand them and how they can utilize them better in their homes or in their restaurants. So I'd like to ask the opposite question of what I just asked two questions ago, and that's what's mostly stayed the same when you take a look at summer fancy food show or just the fancy food shows in general. What's that secret sauce that kind of has been maintained over these years that kind of allow it to be such a special event in the first place? Well, the sampling, people love to go try things, you know, that's always been there. Um, things such as the Italian pavilion, um, you know, you're going to see prosciutto and Parmigiano Reggiano and all these type of products have been part of it for many, many years. And then you see the exciting newcomers that are there. And back, you know, back when I started, the exciting newcomer was the Silver Palette, um, who had come up with products that... Um, kind of mimicked, you know, a lot of European products. So you're always seeing those types of things. And it's nice to see those companies, you know, continuing and, you know, sometimes being sold to large companies, sometimes going out of business, you know, but many of them continuing and continuing to innovate. Um, one of the um, award winners, one of the Lifetime Achievement Award winners this year was La Tropatique Cochon, which started as a pate company in Greenwich Village, I think back in the 60s um, or early 70s. And now they, you know, they've come out with egg bites. I think they had five or six new products there. Does to see these established companies continuing to develop and please consumers is, is just great to see. And one of the things I think is important to kind of note about this show is if you're a buyer or you have a specialty food product probably worth, you know, going to take a look at this show, even if you're not really involved in the food industry, I think there's a lot of value in just being able to walk around and try all these products. So I cannot recommend the event itself enough. And I also can't recommend Ron Tanner enough. So I'm hoping that you could share a little bit more about Tanner Food Group and where anybody in our audience could go if they want to learn a little bit more about you, Ron. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Um, Tanner Food Group is uh, a consultancy that 
works a lot with internationals on helping them develop their presence in the United States. I also work with some U.S. companies um, and, and do various other things. I'm honored to be part of the Food Institute team. Um, we were broadcasting at the show and definitely should go um, watch the live cast that the Food Institute did. And to reach me, you just need to reach out to Ron at tannerfoodgroup.com or my phone number is 917-509-1192. Happy to talk to anybody that really wants to get established in the business. I do do a lot of presentation on trends. I've done them in Korea. I've done them at CO Americas, you know, do a lot of different things. So if you want to know really what's going on in the food industry, I'd be happy to share that information with you. And we will share that information at the bottom of the description of this episode. So if you're looking for those links, make sure you take a look there. Once again, Ron, I really want to thank you for your time today. Excellent conversation. Hope we get an opportunity to do this again in the future. Thank you very much, Chris, and congratulations on all the great work being done by the Food Institute. And that's going to do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Of course, make sure you take a look in the description of this episode to find all the relevant links you need for the Summer Fancy Food Show coverage that the Food Institute did. And also make sure to subscribe and like and share on all of your favorite platforms. But with that all said, until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. <laughs>